does 72 months, that's six years, no interest financing? Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, that's who. Just order by May 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. I've got a link to a story that we're going to talk about later on, the... Um, Apparently, both the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, a number of other people reporting that there has now been a grand jury which has been convened to conduct a criminal investigation into President, former President Donald Trump and his business dealings. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I, I, I have an observation at the beginning, which is something that it, it, you, you don't hear anywhere else in, in the media, especially the media that hates Donald Trump, because it's like, well, we're not going to ask these questions. Now, now here's the deal. Grand jury proceedings are by law supposed to be secret. Back in another life, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I mean, I, individual prosecutors have their own grand jury investigations if you're the supervising prosecutor. In addition to that, one of my routine assignments for a couple of years is I was the grand jury coordinator, which meant that I, I, I was in charge of dealing with the grand jury, so I knew about most of the grand jury investigations that other attorneys were running in, in the office. That was just kind of my routine assignment. Here's one of the first things they, they do, though, when when you start dealing with grand jury matters. They take you aside and they say, just so you know, it is a crime if a certain group of people, for example, if you as a prosecutor disclose matters that are occurring in front of the grand jury, even the existence of a grand jury investigation, you you have committed a crime, which is why typically when you will see a prosecutor be asked a question, hey, are you investigating, you know, so-and-so, the typical response is I can neither confirm or deny the existence of a grand jury investigation. Because if you confirm it or deny it, you, you are guilty of, of a crime. And so when I see a story like this, well, it prompted me to send out a, a tweet, which, again, got some of the predictable, like, Trump haters that are out there. But my, my, my tweet was, given the grand jury proceedings are supposed to be secret, a good place for this investigation to start may be to find the people who are already leaking details to the press and determine whether they have committed a crime. Because now not everybody is covered by grand jury secrecy rules. It's it's the people who are the officers of the court. It's the prosecutors. It's the grand jurors themselves. It's court personnel. Now, if somebody, for example, if you're a witness and you get a subpoena, you, you know, th- those secrecy rules don't apply to you. you. You can talk about that if you want. But it's very apparent from the stories that I am seeing that unless the media is making it up, you know, they've got somebody inside the prosecutive team, whether it's one of the investigators that's assigned to the case or whether it's a prosecutor in the DA's office or whatever, who's leaking information. And if that's the case, that in and of itself is a crime. It has nothing to do with the nature of the investigation. But where is the outrage about that? If these proceedings are supposed to be secret, they're supposed to be secret. And if it's a criminal act to disclose matters occurring in front of the grand jury, even the existence of an investigation, maybe we should start the investigation there. We'll talk more about that later, but if you want to see the tweet and the link to the story, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. 
Potawatomi Casino, Hotel and Casino, comes out with a, a press release today. And as often happens, the most interesting stuff in some of these press releases is buried down in the body of the press release. Let me share a portion of it with you. Potawatomi Hotel and Casino to lift several COVID-19 protocols June 1st. Despite changes, the property is to remain smoke-free. Okay, Potawatomi Hotel and Casino will lift many of its COVID-19 protocols starting Tuesday, June 1st. These changes coincide with the city of Milwaukee lifting its health order and mask ordinance on the same day. As vaccinations continue to being administered and infection rates fall in the area, we are following the lead of health experts and local leadership in lifting some of the COVID-19 protocols we've had in place for almost a year. Beginning Tuesday, June 1st, Potawatomi property will discontinue the mask requirement of guests who have been fully vaccinated. We encourage unvaccinated guests to continue to wear masks for the health and safety of themselves and others who may be unvaccinated around them. Potawatomi hotel and casino team members will continue to wear masks guests will also find that they no longer have to submit to temperature screenings or covid related questions upon entering these buildings they then go on to say that they're going to continue to be smoke free okay now here's where it gets really interesting the casino will also increase the number of operating slot machines from 50 to 100 percent starting june 1st okay fine however bingo table games and other gaming amenities. So I presume that means like the the um, race room, you know, the 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 race betting room, the poker room uh, will continue to remain closed at this point. Re- um, restaurants will remain carry out only with dining areas available for guests to eat within the casino. So they're saying okay, we're still keeping all this other stuff shut down and the obvious question might be okay well why why are you doing that well the answer is in the next sentence of the press release those areas of the property bingo table games other gaming amenities and i presume like i say that means like the race book and the card room and things like that those areas of the property will reopen when we reach sufficient staffing levels which is an ongoing process. Potawatomi Hotel and Casino is currently hiring more than 100 team members for positions in a variety of departments. Open positions include those in food and beverage, security, and hotel operations. And then the press release has a has a, a website where you, you can apply. So what, what's going on here is they are they are ready to reopen. This is how I read this. But they can't fully reopen. That is, reopen with everything not because of COVID restrictions, but it's because they don't have the people right now to do it. And they're not sure when they are going to get the people. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is another example of people, I think, you know, Potawatomi, again, I think this would be a great place to work. I mean, these are, it's a good employer. It's a good area employer. They pay competitive wages. I know they have various types of benefits. I knew people who, for example, used to work there, ended up getting laid off or furloughed and ultimately, you know, um, let go as the pandemic went on and on. But but they're, they're saying that they're hiring. They're, they're looking for 100 plus people now, and you know they're going to need lots more than that if they're going to want to reopen. And, and they're in the process of doing that now, but at least right now they can't find enough people to reopen everything right away. And it's because, I would argue, that people just don't want to work 
right now and don't have to work right now because, again, the government is subsidizing people for not doing it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When are people going to want to go back to work? At what point in time will people say, you know what, I've been out of work and there's jobs that are available and now I'm going to go start to pursue these jobs. Is is that ever going to happen? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Pottawatomie announcing that they're, they're reopening and they're dropping a lot of protocols, but there's still a lot of stuff down there that they're not reopening because they say they're, they're looking for, for people and they're, uh, you, you, you can't go back to full operations until you have a, a full staff and they're actively searching. And this is not unique. This is going on all around our area. Employers will tell you they cannot find people to come back to work my question and somewhat a rhetorical one how, how long is this going to last i mean will there be a point where people who have i don't know, been off of work for six months or a year because of the pandemic will there be a point where they're motivated to get off the couch and actually go back to work and when will that be joan in brookfield hi joan hi I kind of feel that we have to look at what the end game is. And the end game is the promise that there was going to be a $15 an hour minimum wage passed. And I think they're perfectly willing to put a stranglehold on all businesses. And this is nationwide, not just Wisconsin, to get that minimum wage law passed. And after everybody's strangled and struggling even further, they're willing to sacrifice all kinds of businesses. Then people will acquiesce to the, okay, okay, we give up $15 an hour. Yeah, but uh, I think a lot of people don't even want to work for $15 an hour. The, the argument's going to be, hey, at $15 an hour, you can't, that's not a living wage. You can't support a family of four on that. I, I, I don't know why it's stopped at 15 It might be 18 It might be 20 It might be $25 an hour. And people without a basic understanding of economics, well, they they won't care. They'll just want the wage. They won't understand that inflation is just waiting to take off. People who have been loyal employees will also want to be compensated. There's just a general lack of economic knowledge out there. Well, you know, th- thanks for call, Joan. I mean, I, I think actually the answer is simpler than that. We, we've kind of alluded to this earlier. I, I don't think it's tied into a $15 an hour wage. I, I think it's tied into a system that we have right now where the government has created a disincentive for people to work at, at, at I'm going to call them like, quote, lower income wage jobs, whether the job is $10 an hour or $12 an hour or $15 an hour. Because right now, as long as you're on unemployment, given that that federal benefit that's out there, that 300 bucks a week, not to mention all the other federal assistance that is out there, right now there is just no incentive that's there for people to get off their butts and go back to work, especially the people that are working again in, in those jobs that are going to pay between 10 and 15 or 16 or $17 an hour. And that's going to continue to be a problem until the gravy train stops. Now, once that gravy train stops, and, and look, and by the way, I understand this. I, I I'm not I am not critical I guess of the people who are making that decision. If if I work if I work for as as a third shift security guard, let, let's say, and the the job pays 
I don't know, 12, 13, 14, even $15 an hour. Don't know what it pays. But if, I, if I'm working as a third shift security guard making $15 an hour and I can make, take, make more by continuing to collect unemployment and get that extra federal bonus, why in the world am I going to get off my butt? Why am I going to go work third shift as a security guard? The answer is I'm not going to do it. And that's a perfectly rational decision for people to make. But we've created this really weird, weird system now where we are rewarding people for not not going out and actively trying to find work. And that's never what unemployment has been all about. Unemployment has always been sort of a safety net to help you navigate when you lose your job to go from one job to another. It's never been designed to create a disincentive for people to try to find another job. But yet that is precisely, you know, what what's happening. And if the idea is, well, if they would pay more, people would go back to work. Well, the, the job's not worth more. The only reason you would have to pay more is because the government has created this artificial situation where we are we are having the taxpayers subsidize somebody choosing not to work. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Steve. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yeah, hey, thanks a lot for taking my sure. call. Hey, you know, I, I totally agree with your comments. Um, I was recently at a hotel uh, the other weekend, and I was having a conversation with the bellhop about hiring and how short-staffed they are. And he made a comment to me. He's like, hey, we're hiring all the time, but people are applying and they're getting scheduled for the interviews but they're just not showing up to the interviews, yep. which says to me that there's, there's a break in the system of accountability for unemployment. And as long as you have that break, people are just going to continually ride what, you know, this, this large pool of funding for these lower paying jobs. We're going to continuously have this problem. Well, right. Until, until that, that funding has dried up and then it's like, well, I, I don't have a choice anymore. I, I'm, I'm really now not making anywhere close to what I could make by working. So now, gee, suddenly I, I'm going to I'm going to show up for my job interviews, or I'm going to get the job and I'm going to show up the second day or the third day or whatever. You're, you're exactly right. This this problem is going to continue as long as the federal government continues to run this gravy train, giving people an incentive for not working. Yeah, no, no I, I I totally agree, and you know I disagree with uh, the president's comments of. You know, hey, people are scared to go back to work. I yeah. I think that's a very small segment of the population. I mean, I live in in a more conservative county in Wisconsin, and there there are areas where I live that they're having a hard time finding oh, yeah. people to work. Right? No, so it's not. It's, yeah, that that's bull. Right? No, thanks. I mean, that that I, I right? I don't buy that. Oh, I'm afraid to go back to work. That that's that's bull. There there there, there are people, including people who are working at what I'm going to call. And the, the the lower wage jobs, the jobs that pay ten to fifteen dollars an hour, if you want to use it, even people working throughout the entire pandemic, they're not afraid to go back to work. To me, that's a cop out and an excuse. And all of a sudden, I tell you, once you you pull out the, the federal subsidies, and once people realize, gee, I'm the the subsidy I've been getting, which instead of on average six hundred and eighteen dollars a week, now goes down to three hundred dollars a week. And by the way, the state is now saying I have to go out and look for jobs. One once you pull that rug out, at that point in time, mysteriously, I think all sorts of people are going to start showing up for their job interviews. Yeah, this idea that I, I'm afraid to go back to work. Well, I mean, what, what do you say then to the people who've been working over the course of the entire year? I mean, th- this is an ongoing problem. And like I say, it's it's stopping businesses 
from being able to, you know, reopen and get up to full capacity. I, I have no doubt, and I, I get texts and emails from people all the time, small businesses who are saying, look, we, we really want to be open. You look at a lot of restaurants. I was talking to somebody the other day who, who runs a restaurant. The restaurant, it's always been closed on Mondays. And, and now it's closed on Tuesdays as well. And I was asking him, I said, why, why did you close on Tuesday? Is it the pandemic? And because I was actually going to go order a pizza from them on a Tuesday. And they said, no, Jeff, it's not, it has nothing to do with being closed. We know we have the business that's out there. We can't find the people that are willing to come in and work. You know, so we're, we're operating on a limited staff. And so yes, we, we've had to close on Tuesday or we've had to close on Sunday or we had to close at eight o'clock at night instead of, um, instead of 10 or, or whatever, because they can't find the people that are willing to work. Mark my words, once again, that, that federal gravy train goes away, once the taxpayers stop subsidizing people for not working, then mysteriously, you're, you're going to see us get much closer to full employment, just like we were before the pandemic hit. And you're going to see these businesses be able to get people to come back at a fair wage. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. What's going on here is pretty much self-evident. And there are people who are deniers. I have somebody who texts me saying, well, you're just wrong. Unemployment doesn't pay anything close to $15 an hour. No, typical unemployment doesn't. But the the average person on unemployment gets $316 a week. You add $300 to that, you get $616 a week, which is more than $15 an hour times 40. And we're not even talking about the effects of taxes. So that's my point. Once the federal gravy train goes away, yes, being on unemployment is a less desirable option, perhaps a significantly less desirable option. But until you have that federal supplement that disappears, people can make more money by not working than they do for working or as much or almost as much money as they did. And I understand this. I mean, again, if you're, you know, if you can make 80% as much money as by sitting home and sitting on a couch and watching days of our lives as you can, you know, going to work and working third shift at a security job or whatever, I get why people do it. I, I understand I'm not faulting them necessarily for making that choice. It's just, it's just a it's just a system that we have created where we provide a taxpayer paid for incentive for people not to work which is wrong welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj The Miracle League of Milwaukee is celebrating its 10th anniversary. That means an entire decade of bringing together children of all abilities to play organized baseball. The Miracle League believes everyone deserves the chance to play our national pastime, but they can't do it without the support of the community. That's where you come in. To find out how you can support this great local organization, go to WTMJ.com slash CARES or text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 855-616-1620. WTMJ CARES, sponsored by Gruber Law offices. Hey, a quick note. We are, of course, coming up on Memorial Day weekend, and I understand it's the unofficial start of the summer and people schedule picnics and events and things like that. Well, it's also a very solemn day as well. To that extent, I'd like to invite you to spend tomorrow evening and uh, with, with me for about an hour or so and if you can't make that, something that you might want to do um, over the course of the next few days, and that is out in Waukesha, the city of Waukesha Frame Park, which is in downtown Waukesha, they have made arrangements to bring the moving wall 
to the city of Waukesha. If you don't know, the, the moving wall is a half-size replica of the Washington, D.C. Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And I, I've said this before, but it's honest to goodness true. I, I've had an opportunity. I, I go to Washington a lot. I used to go a lot, lot. And whenever I was there, I would always try to make a point of, you know, going and you, you stand at the Lincoln Memorial and it's just an incredibly impressive thing. And then you, you turn to your right and you walk down this little path and then you come to the Vietnam Veterans wa- Memorial, the, the wall. And I, I've never, no matter how many times I've been there, I know I've said this before, but it's true. I've, I've never failed to be moved by the experience of standing at that wall. And the moving wall, which is an exact replica, half size, I, I think the, the results are going to be similar. So in any event, starting I think tomorrow um, they're, they're going to have it display. I think starting at noon and running through through Memorial Day, the the moving wall will be at Frame Park in Waukesha. Tomorrow evening from six to seven is is the opening ceremony, and they've got a number of different events that are associated with that. I'm going to be uh, the master of ceremonies for the event. So if you're looking for something to do tomorrow evening, come on out. Uh, the event, the opening ceremony is at the amphitheater at Frame Park. But if you can't make that from 6 to 7 tomorrow and you're in the area or you choose to be in the area sometime over the weekend, you can come out. You can check out the moving wall. It's free. It's open to everybody. And if you have not seen either the moving wall or the actual Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the wall in Washington, D.C., you, you, you really should. You just really should. So this is an opportunity for people in our listening area to do that. All right. We talk on this program a lot about quality of life issues. And, and I have raised the question, honestly, about when, when it comes to certain urban areas. And we're, let's talk about the city of Milwaukee. With, with crime out of control, I do not understand. I do not understand how the city the city leaders think that the city can progress until they get a hand on handle on crime. You know, we've talked about the fact that 25 cars are stolen every day from the streets of Milwaukee. 25 cars. Imagine what that is like if you live and you uh, and you live and you you have to park your car out out on the street. I mean, imagine what that says if you're I mean somebody who you don't live in the city of Milwaukee, but you live in the suburbs. You're thinking about driving down to go to a business in Milwaukee or go to a restaurant or or whatever, and you're wondering, gee, I, I'd love to have a great meal at this restaurant, but you know, am I going to be one of those 25 when I come out and find my my car gone? You know, we've talked about. The homicides. We've talked about the the shootings, the non-fatal shootings, which are what up like a hundred percent this year from last year, and they were huge that last year. We've talked about all the other elements of of crime that are out there. So you've you've got the crime that is completely out of control. That to me raises serious questions about you know livability, and then you have some of the other stuff that that arguably compared to a homicide, compared to a, a shooting. I acknowledge that this is a smaller thing, but at the same time, I think it is a significant thing. And what you're seeing is, again, a moving away from what I would call, and what's always been termed, the broken windows style of, of enforcement. And, and the, the broken windows idea was you, that, that you, you do sweat the small stuff. If you have small problems and you let them go, they typically become 
bigger problems. And so that's why you have to, you know, you have to deal with it. If you got a bunch of broken windows, you know, in a neighborhood and stuff, you got to fix those windows because pretty soon people are going to be going into the buildings through those broken windows. You know, that that's what you end up having to do. And there was a story on today's TMJ4 the other day that caught my attention. Abandoned cars are more than just an eyesore. And what they did is they focused on just just abandoned cars all over the city of Milwaukee. And what, what, what I think happened is I think a couple of the reporters or producers were driving around the city, and they started to notice with a disproportionate number of cars just dumped, dumped on city streets, you know, dumped in vacant lots, etc., that stayed there, you know, day after day after day, week after week after week. And, of course, you, you have, I mean, the obvious problems with this that, you know, that, that kids go in and play with, the, and play in the cars and people can get hurt when doing stuff like that, that chemicals can leak. You've got all those problems. But, but more importantly, do you want to live in a neighborhood where, all right, three cars on any given city block are just abandoned and dumped there or that are dumped in vacant lots? Well, the way it works in Milwaukee is, is there's two there's two agencies that are responsible for dealing with abandoned cars. There's the Department of Neighborhood Services, which deals with um, abandoned cars in in lots. So like vacant lots and stuff like if it's off the street, it's the Department of Neighborhood Services. If it's a car that's abandoned on the street, then it's the Department of Public Works. But what they're finding is that the number of enforcement actions have dropped dramatically. Apparently, according to neighborhood services data, and these are the people that deal with, like, the cars that are dumped in the vacant lots and things like that. In 2017, there were 1,635 abandoned car enforcement cases. 2020, last year, it dropped to 374. <laughs> you know, so it's it's a fraction of what it was four years ago. But the truth of the matter is, you you know that the number of abandoned cars in on lots and stuff has not decreased, and yet what's happening is the enforcement has been scaled back dramatically. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I guess the fundamental question that's out there is, does stuff like this matter? You know, should we, should we care about this? I mean, it, it, admittedly, I guess on the one hand, it's, it's small stuff compared to somebody being, you know, shot on the streets or somebody having their car stolen at gunpoint. Although my guess is a bunch of the cars that end up ultimately being abandoned and dumped at places after they've been stripped are cars that have in fact been stolen at gunpoint. But th- this idea of abandoned Junk cars, which are just left on the streets or left in lots to just sit and sit and sit without being, without being towed, without being moved off the streets. To me, that, that's again, it's a huge quality of life issue. And I do not understand for the life of me why it's not a priority. Do you want to live on a city block, for example, where again, there's just, Two of the parking spaces are occupied by by vacant by by cars that have clearly been dumped. Do you want to live next to a vacant lot where there's three cars that have all been stripped that are sitting there? And, and my answer would be most people say no. Isn't this a significant quality of life issue? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text from somebody who lives in Milwaukee, Jeff. 
officials honestly do not care. Specifically talking about stolen cars, um, I, I, I'd mentioned this to you before. I had My car had been stolen. I had GPS evidence of where my stolen car was. I went to the police station to tip the cops on how they might be able to find my car and apprehend the suspect. I was laughed out of the district with comments from officers saying, this guy thinks it's a movie. So I guess my point is, um, if the city doesn't care about stolen cars and they're not willing to put any energy into solving those cases when the victim is handing them GPS evidence, they darn sure don't care about abandoned vehicles. Well, yeah, there there is a, there is a huge element to that as as well. And I mean, and here's I mean, here's the the problem with this. First of all, my guess is a large chunk of the cars that are quote unquote abandoned are in fact stolen cars. I mean, that's you know, you you somebody's stolen the car, somebody's maybe carjacked the car. You know, you take it, you drive it for a little bit, maybe you use it for other crimes, and then you strip it, and then you just leave it, you know, on a city street or dump it at a lot, and it, there it it sits and it sits and it sits and it sits forever. Meanwhile, you've got the eyesore that is there. It would be interesting. And again, we've we've talked about this. I don't fault the police on the stolen car stuff. To me, it, it's just it is a complete and total failure of the court system, a refusal to charge people who steal cars, uh, just up turning a blind eye to this. But but it, it's a huge quality of life thing that makes you wonder. All right. If people just don't care, if the community doesn't care, if the city leaders don't care about this and aren't willing, and I say don't care, and I mean you don't care because you're not willing to do anything to make a change on it, and the city then, the people, the populace accepts that and keeps returning the same leaders over and over again who refuse to do stuff, well, it, it maybe it tells you the city doesn't care about that type of stuff, and it affects quality of life. Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but, yeah, small crimes lead to bigger crimes and bigger issues. And it seems like the uh, we have the laws, but we don't have the enforcement. We have the mayor and other city leaders who just turn up, are like crickets and turn a blind eye to this, and the cancer keeps growing. And it's a real quality of life. The quality of life's going down the toilet. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and look, and who wants to, I mean, from the even if your car isn't stolen, all right. Who who wants to live on a on a city street where if there's like a vacant lot on the street, there's two or three cars that are that are dumped into that lot that that is that are sitting there and you know they're rusting out and they've been stripped and you have neighborhood kids who are doing Lord knows what in them. Who wants to live in that environment or that on your particular block there's two or three cars that you know they don't belong and nobody's driven them for like two or three months? Haul the damn things off. You know, bring in the tow trucks. Pull these things off clean up the streets is that too much to ask and by the way you will probably mike like i say my guess is you will find a good percentage of those cars are stolen so then it, you could at least reach out to the victims and say well for what it's worth we found your car and it was in this alley you know on wherever and at least you can tell your insurance company that it's now recovered uh, you probably don't want it back but at least you can tell the insurance company that we found it yeah, and there's a lot of tow trucks waiting for work too. Well, no kidding. No, th- thanks for calling. This, thanks for this, see this. This is the low hanging fruit. All right, and Mike, that is such a good point that you make because because here's the deal. During COVID, you know, the City of Milwaukee Health Department. Now, I understand we're talking about now the DPW and the Department of Neighborhood Services. They were so hot to nail businesses who were violating the, the mask rules or the attendance rules, that they went out and they hired private outfits, 
to go out and to go into bars and to go into restaurants and to see if they could find violations, which they could then report so you could get citations that were written up. This was a priority during COVID. All right, we're going to let these bars open up, but oh my God, you've got the guy who... um You've got the business, and there's four people upstairs, and they're at a table, and one of them gets up and goes to the men's room, and he wasn't wearing a mask. Boom, let's swoop in, and let's find the business. All right, that's fine. That was the philosophy. We are so hot to nail this stuff that what we're going to do is we're going to hire private outfits to go out and do it. All right, well, to your point, Mike, about the private tow trucks, where are they? You know, if this was a priority, well, then maybe what you could do is you could say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're going to hire these private companies and, you know, we're going to have them go out and we're going to say, hey, you found, you know, you're driving through the city of Milwaukee. And by the way, you know, we've noticed that there's a vacant lot on this particular block. And in that vacant lot, there's three cars that are there and one of them's up on blocks and two of them have flat tires and one has the rear window that's busted out. All right. Drive by the second day, you see the same things. At that point in time, maybe you want to start hauling them off. I mean, maybe you want to start hauling them off if you don't have enough resources and inspectors in the Department of Neighborhood Services or the DPW. Fine. Do what you did when you were trying to crack down on businesses for violating COVID rules to get the cars off the street, to get these junkers off the street. And by the way, my guess is you would help the Milwaukee Police Department if you did that clear a whole bunch of stolen car cases. Now, I'm not saying the first time you go out and you say, oh, that, that car hasn't moved in a day. Here, we're going to you know tow it off. But it, it, it's something that you know bears watching. Maybe you say, okay, if the car has been in the same place for a week or the car is not mobile and you're, the car doesn't have tags on it, you know, which is happening a lot. Lot of times yeah then what we're going to do is we're going to assume that this thing has been abandoned and we're going to tow it and i also understand in saying that that there will be occasions where mistakes are made there will be occasions where maybe somebody hasn't really abandoned their car but that car will end up getting towed in that case well then, then you deal with it but that's going to be the one or the two or the three out of a hundred to me it's all about quality of life and nowadays we've become just so obsessed and so politically correct and we don't want to prosecute we don't want to prosecute juveniles for this because well then we're going to get crossways with certain politicians or certain people in the community who who think we're putting too many of this type of person or that type of person in supervision or we don't want to send people to Lincoln Hills so what we'll do is we'll just turn a blind eye when you have a kid that steals 15 cars and god forbid we should ever wave him into adult court because then don't you realize you know, we'll be, you know, giving him a checkered uh, past for the rest of his life. Well, instead, we'd rather just let him, you know, progress from stealing cars to carjacking to more serious stuff. So he's eventually going to have to spend a whole bunch of time in prison. I understand we've got all this political correctness that's out there. Oh, we don't want to go out. We don't want to start taking cars. We don't want to have strict enforcement. Well, if quality of life matters, you got to do that stuff. And it starts with the little stuff. Deal with the little stuff. And maybe, just maybe, you're not going to have to deal with as much as the big stuff. All right. Lots of stuff coming up on today's program. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I love this story. I don't know what the larger point is, but grew producing the show today and always, John Cena. You know who John Cena is, right? 
Oh yeah, John Cena is a he a wrestling star. You know, he started his career in WWE, and as many of these wrestlers have subsequently gone on to do, like The Rock, he, he's gone on and he, he does movies and things like that, right? Yeah, I think right now he's on Wipeout, something like that. Okay. Well, he's got a new movie coming out, Fast and Furious Number 9. He's in the ninth edition of Fast and, and Furious. But it's so he, he's promoting it. And he's overseas and he sits down, and, and th- this is what he says. He's doing an interview and he says that um, he, the, the movie's going to be shown in Taiwan. And he comes out and he says that um, he says that Taiwan is going to be is the first country where the movie is going to be shown. Eh, kind of innocuous, you would think. Taiwan, it's it, it's not like he's making racist or homophobic. Said Taiwan's going to be the first country where my movie is going to be shown. Well, he has now had to apologize because China, you know, people in China do not recognize Taiwan as a country. They believe that Taiwan is essentially. Uh, under their control and that it should be under their control. So here's the story. After he comes out and says that, you know, hey, I, you know, Taiwan's going to be the first country we show a movie. Um, apparently the day yesterday, he had to apologize in Mandarin for a statement he made on Taiwanese TV, where he said Taiwan is the first country that can watch the films. The remarks prompted ire from Chinese fans, touching on a sensitive geopolitical issue between Taiwan, a self-governed island, and China that considers it a breakaway territory that must be reined in. So what happens is you get China, which is much bigger than, of course, Taiwan, and the state of China decides, that the Chinese state decides to kind of come down on him, and I think maybe they threaten to ban the movie and he says, I made a mistake. I have something to say right now that is so, so, so important. I love and respect China and the Chinese people. I'm very sorry for my mistakes. Sorry, sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know. Okay, so the idea that you would even think to recognize Taiwan as being something different. Well, we can't do that because China is going to come down on you. It reminds me of, of what happened a couple years ago. You might remember Daryl Morley. He was the former general manager of the Houston Rockets. And at the time, this would have been about a year and a half ago, October of last year, of 2019, that is, right before a couple teams were supposed to play like exhibition basketball games in, in China, he came out and, oh my gosh, he, he committed the ultimate sin. He he sent out a tweet showing his support for pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong. You know, he, he gosh, he, he said that, you know, we need to stand with Hong Kong. Well, all right, that caused all sorts of heartburn within the NBA. Not that the NBA doesn't believe that uh, that people in Hong Kong are should be entitled to you know democracy, but rather because it upset China, which was um, in this case it's the NBA's largest and highest priority international market. So quickly, you know, he was made to pull back the tweet and he was made to issue an apology, and the NBA spent all this time trying to again, you know. Uh, sort of um, make this problem go away. Ultimately, you know, a year later, Morley ended up resigning, but that pretty much killed his career as soon as he had done this. But it is interesting to me that you have, I don't know, these Hollywood 
actors, you have the sports leagues, etc., that talk about the, the need for freedom of expression and First Amendment. And, you know, how dare, you know, John Cena recognize Taiwan as a country? How dare Daryl Morley express support for pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong? So the bottom line of all this is it just shows at the end of the day it's money that rules because – you don't want to offend people in China because, well, okay, it's a, it's, you, you've got all these different people that live there and you're trying to make money off of this state run government and you want to have them as business partners. So how dare you say anything to criticize them? But you can criticize anything you want in the United States. Yeah, go figure. All right. Cryptocurrency. Now, I don't want your eyes to glaze over at this topic because I actually think it's kind of interesting. Gru, I'll put you on the test once again. You know, what is cryptocurrency? And you're just giving me that look. You'd rather not go down this route? I mean, I have a hard enough time explaining it myself. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. I, I will I will give it a shot. Most money is is issued by governments. For example, the, the U.S. has the dollar system, you know, and so the, the currency that, that comes out, the, the dollar, it, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. Um, in, in the United Kingdom, in Great Britain, you, you've got the, the pound. In European countries, you've got the, the euro, and the euros are supported by, again, the European Union. It, it's the same all the way around the country. Currency is issued by by governments and supported by by those governments okay so you've got that you also have things that for example have an independent value uh commodities gold for example perhaps the best example of that you know an ounce of gold you know has has a value an ounce of gold you know you it can equate to you know whatever it is $2000 an ounce or whatever it is now i haven't checked it recently but you know so you know you've got gold that is the equivalent of of dollars you know an ounce of gold is worth this but also i mean you you can you can trade in gold you can go and say okay you know i i want to buy a car and so if somebody is willing to sell you the car in exchange for, I don't know, 10 ounces of gold or 15 ounces of gold, you, you, you can do that. You don't have to necessarily convert it to dollars. All right. Cryptocurrency, which has been around for a couple of decades, but over the last decade or two, it's really kind of taken off. Cryptocurrency is another form of, of ways that you can pay. Cryptocurrency has no intrinsic value. It's not supported by the government. It's not supported by, again, like an ounce of gold. It's nothing physical. Cryptocurrency is something that is created by what they call a, a miner, M-I-N-E-R, who has created like this own system. And you say, okay, I've got, I've got cryptocurrency. I've got Bitcoin. That was the first big one. And so then there's this artificial market that says one Bitcoin is going to be worth X amount or two Bitcoins. And if you want to buy a car, it's going to be X number of Bitcoins. And it will, it will vary, but it's not supported at all by any sort of government it's just an independent way that you can you can trade create a system of barter etc et all right now cryptocurrency 
I, I'm going to get in trouble here. I, I've always thought it's a scam. I mean, it, it's, it has no intrinsic value at all. If you are investing in cryptocurrency, it's just you're, you're betting essentially that, that more people are going to buy into us and the value is going to go up. Lately, cryptocurrency, the, the value has been going down dramatically, but it's, it's, it's nothing tangible. It's just, you know, the, these digital credits that you get, that you purchase with cash and that you hope that you're going to be able to then cash out at some point in time. All right, that's that's kind of the whole idea behind cryptocurrency. And I know there's people who invest in this, and that's an overly simplistic thing. It's something that I, I would never invest any of my money in because, again, it, it's I like stuff that, that's real. Well, anyhow, remember a couple of weeks ago when we had the story about the attack on the Colonial Pipeline? You had these these pirates out of Eastern Europe that said, okay, we've now, um, what we've done is we've, you know, we've, we've blocked your pipeline and we, we've got the whole thing tied up. We've got the computers that are tied up. And if you want us to give you the stuff to release this, you're going to have to pay us. And ultimately the pipeline did, the pipeline company did what I think you should never do. They decided to, to pay off the pirates. Well, the pirates, they didn't want the money in cash. They didn't want the money in your in U.S. dollars. They didn't want it in in euros. All of which it's because hey, four million dollars. It's it's traceable at some point in time. What they did is they wanted it in cryptocurrency. The idea that we can't if you pay in cryptocurrency, it is essentially untraceable. There, there's no way to tell where it was issued. There's no way to tell because people don't keep these records. There's no way to tell, you know, who had the cryptocurrency. There's, there's no way that you can trace this. So it's why these ransomware pirates almost always demand their payment to be made in cryptocurrency. There's a really interesting piece in the Washington Post and a follow-up in the Wall Street Journal today. Headline in the Washington Post, ransomware is a national security threat and a big business, and it's wreaking havoc. And it talks all about how many, many big companies are being held hostage by these cyber attacks. And interestingly enough, almost always the payment is demanded in cryptocurrency because it's almost impossible to trace. Today's Wall Street Journal has a very interesting piece. Guy says, I mean, here's the problem. You know, if you really want to fight ransomware, if you really want to enhance cybersecurity, one of the things that you can do is you can get rid of cryptocurrency. You know, the existence of Bitcoin and all these others, it really benefits nobody except the, the criminals and maybe some speculators. And the point is, if there wasn't this this alternative way of compensating people, if you didn't have Bitcoin or whatever the other cryptocurrency would be, it, it would be much more difficult for the cyber attackers to get paid off, and it would be much more difficult for them to be able to get their money into into the system. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Very difficult to ban Bitcoin, but if people didn't invest in it and people didn't use it, I think it would go a long way towards discouraging these cyber pirates. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Uh, Maria. Hi, Maria. You're on WTMJ. 
Hey there, Jeff. Hi, Maria. Listen, this is happening. Uh, this is happening apparently big time in our healthcare system, where these people are holding healthcare systems. Um, you know, uh, yeah, they, to right, right. You, you all free- of our personal data. Yeah, you you freeze. You you attack a healthcare system that's got all the patient right. records that are in it, the personal data, yeah. all the medication records. You know, all the treatment sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they break in yeah. and they've they they really put pressure on the healthcare systems. Yes. Yep. And apparently they're just paying them off. Yes. The healthcare systems are. Yeah. Right. And they it, don't really have a choice. Yeah. No, th- thanks. Well, and, but, and of course the problem though, Marie, is once you pay them off, it's sort of like when you deal with, with kidnappers or terrorists or whatever, all you do is embolden them to do it again and again and again. That's the problem. Oh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, so I mean, thanks uh, to give you an idea. Um, and here, I mean, here, here's how bad this is. Let me. This is the first paragraph in the story in the Wall Street Journal today. No one is out of reach from ransomware attacks. The Colonial Pipeline hack that we all heard about that created you know gas prices, there's artificial gasoline shortages and gas prices seven bucks a gallon and things like that. The Colonial Pipeline hack made that clear. Along with nearly 2,500 cases of ransomware, a form of malware that encrypts computer files and holds them for ransom, reported to the Federal Bureau of Investigation last year, a 66% annual increase. Okay, 2,500. We don't hear about the vast majority of them, but 2,500 cases reported to the FBI last year alone. And my guess is, just like Maria was making the point, my guess is a lot of those big businesses, healthcare, et cetera. All right, the piece continues. In 2020, get this. First of all, that was a 66% annual increase, a 66% annual increase over 2019. So that tells you that this is a, a, a burgeoning type of crime. In 2020, ransomware victims paid hackers $350 million worth of cryptocurrency. And since many victims pay ransom without reporting the incident, these numbers understate the, the damage. And by that, it means you know, many, many companies that are out there that are victimized by this, they don't go to the cops. They, they don't go to the FBI. They don't want the bad publicity. They figure there's nothing that the FBI can do, so we're just going to pay it anyway. So the, these numbers of attack, this 2,500 in 2020, probably a lot more. The $350 million paid out in cryptocurrency, paid out in, in cryptocurrency, probably just a, a drop in the bucket. And so now, you know, we're talking about improved cybersecurity and all those types of, of things. And I, it's, I, I'm all in favor of all that. But I continue to believe that the biggest way to stop this would be if we didn't, if we just stopped trading in cryptocurrency. If the stuff had absolutely no value. Why? Because if you had to pay, if Colonial had to pay $4 million, for example, well, then it's much, much easier to trace. You know, $4 million in cash. Or, you know, we want, the hackers would say, we want $4 million put in our Swiss bank account or our bank account in the Bahamas or something. Still, more difficult to trace, but ultimately you can end up finding it. This cryptocurrency, no records, nothing, and the pirates end up walking away with this. This is an argument I've been making for years and years and years, and I, and I know it sounds silly, but and take it from me, back in the old days when I was chasing drug dealers, one of the biggest problems, if you were a drug dealer, was figuring out how to spend your money. Drugs, drug dealing, whether it was cocaine or heroin or marijuana or whatever, drug dealing is a cash business. You don't take credit cards. 
Well, nowadays, I guess if you're selling marijuana in legal states, you do. But, you know, you're selling cocaine, you're selling heroin. You don't take credit cards. You don't take personal checks. It's a cash business. All right. All well and good. The problem becomes if you sell a lot of a lot of drugs and you get a bunch of cash, how do you get that cash into the, the system? I cannot tell you how many times we did search warrants or investigations and, and we found we found shoeboxes and shoeboxes just stuffed with cash. Why? Because the drug dealers don't know how to launder the money because cash is only good for what you can buy with it, right? And so if, for example, you're a 23-year-old guy with no visible means of support and suddenly you're going around and you're paying 50, 60, 70, 80, 90,000 dollars for, you know, a sports car and you're going into a jewelry store and you're dropping like 40,000 dollars on jewelry and stuff and you're paying cash for it, it's going to set off all these red flags. And we have all these currency transaction reporting laws that say that, you know, various types of merchants, if it's a cash transaction of more than $10,000, you have to report it and all those sort of things. It became very, very difficult for drug dealers to get that, to spend, to enjoy the to enjoy the profits from their illegal activity, because if they surfaced money and they couldn't explain it, it was going to be a red flag and you could get prosecuted. Well, this is this is a version of that. This is this cryptocurrency where you cannot trace it. If they had to pay in cash, there's a better chance that it would be found. If they had to pay in deposits to bank accounts, there's a better chance they would be found. Now, it's kind of the wild, wild west. And as long as we have these pirates who can be paid in cryptocurrency, it's going to continue to exist. Maybe we should re-examine whether we really need cryptocurrency. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I'm a financial crimes investigator for a large financial institution. Bitcoin, that's cryptocurrency, is a great way for criminals to launder funds as we don't know the true source and the use of those funds. Um, yeah, not only is cryptocurrency risky, it's hard to manage. You need a wallet company like uh, Coinbase to manage your crypto. What happened to technology making things easier? All right, so you got that side. Then I have a text here. Crypto is the currency of the future and here to stay. Companies need to improve their cybersecurity, and government needs to start cracking down hard on hackers. Well, number one, I agree that you know companies need to improve their cybersecurity. Number two, I agree the government needs to start cracking down hard on hackers. Whether crypto is the currency of the future and is here to stay, I think the jury is still out on that. Um, Maybe that is actually the case, or maybe cryptocurrency is going to turn out to be the, um, I don't know, the the Beanie Babies of 2021, except without the actual Beanie Babies. You get that reference, right, Melissa? I do get the reference. I never understood Beanie Babies. (laughs) (laughs) Never owned one, and don't ever want to. Well, right. I mean, the idea Beanie Babies was this Popular, incredible yeah. fad, <laughs> and you know Beanie Babies in and of themselves had no intrinsic value other than okay, it's the Beanie Baby. But people were paying exorbitant amounts of money for the the Beanie Babies, and 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 it went up and up and up as long as people were bidding on this. And then finally, somebody woke up one day and said, like, "Why, why, are, why we are we doing all this?" <laughs> and then then Beanie Babies, the bottom just fell out. I happen to think cryptocurrency is the Beanie Babies of 2021, but I, I end up, I admit I, I could be wrong, and there are, um, there are, there, there's a lot of people who've invested in it, 
And mm-hmm. so they have a, a vested interest in it, wanting to see it go up. You know, they, they, they bought they bought cryptocurrency, they bought Bitcoin, and so they're they're invested in wanting to see okay the the value of their interest go up. And I I'm not wishing them ill. I'm just saying I don't know. We'll see how <laughs> it works out. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's a headline in the Journal Sentinel today, which references a a study done by a researcher at the University of Wisconsin. And I guess I I don't necessarily challenge the conclusion, but the way they get there and the ultimate result is one of the most staggeringly stupid things that I have seen in a long time. Okay, here's the headlines. Wolves scare deer and reduce collisions with vehicles 24%, University of Wisconsin researchers find. Now, if if you review the bidding on this, you will remember that gray wolves were first protected uh, in 1973 um, by the Endangered Species Act. And what happened is the wolf population grew, and then they they were no longer an endangered species. But as the wolf population grew, what happened is that the the wolves started to spread out. Um, They would attack ranchers, um, and they would attack sometimes people and things like that. And so there was no longer a shortage. You had a lot of people who lived in areas where there were wolves who started complaining. They said, look, we we can't hunt these things. They're attacking our animals, et cetera, et cetera. They pose a risk. So now what's happened is the protection for them has been rolled back a bit. And there's some people who are extremely upset about that. They don't think people should be able to hunt wolves, et cetera. So the headline, wolves scare deer and reduce collisions with vehicles 24%. So what, okay, here's what the guy says. He says, the guy remembers driving remote stretches of road in Michigan's Upper Peninsula and seeing areas strewn with deer carcasses. But that changed after gray wolves arrived in the region from Canada and Minnesota. When wolves moved in during the 1990s and 2000s, the deer vehicle collisions went way down. Well, okay, why do you think that might be? Well, it's real easy because the wolves are killing the deer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, there, if there's fewer deer that are around, if the wolves are attacking and killing the deer, yes, there's fewer deer that are going to be around to, to hit cars. I, I mean, I understand that. But is this really the system that you want where you have these predators that are killing the deer? Um, they, they go on, they say, well, in a pretty short period of time, once wolves colonize a county, Deer vehicle collisions go down about 24%, they say in this study. Um, and it's because the, the deer are afraid and the deer are getting eaten by, by the wolves. And so this is now kind of the justification. Here's what they say. They say, well, most economic studies of wolves have been negative, focusing on livestock issues. But wolves also reshape ecosystems in many ways. Um, studies have then said, again, you know, we look at the wolves and there, there's, they, there's not as many car-deer collisions because there's not as many deer that are out there. And again, they, they say, well, partly it's because the deer change their behavior because they're scared. And partly it's because the wolves are killing the deer. So, I mean, I guess this is what the the trade-off is. Do you want to allow these wolves to come in and just start to kill the deer? Now, I guess the good side is there's not as many deer around for the cars to hit. Oh, okay. But but that's because there's not as many deer because the wolves are killing them. And by the way, they're not just killing the deer. They're killing all sorts of other things as well. They're killing people's livestock, and they're spreading out. I, I just... 
I, I understand the endangered species, and I understand the protection orders that we put in place for wolves back when they were an endangered species. They are no longer an endangered species, and as such, I, I think that especially to protect like farmers and ranchers in areas where they're not endangered, yeah, y- you should have the right to hunt them. But this is one of these again. It's like, oh, we should let the de- we should let the wolves kill the deer because then there's fewer deer around that cars can hit. Well, okay, if you're going to follow that logic, there's all sorts of stuff that should perhaps like disappear. Well, we don't want this, or we don't. We shouldn't have automobiles because if we or we shouldn't allow there to be SUVs because if there's fewer SUVs, there's going to be fewer things for the other for trucks to run into or whatever. So yes, I accept the premise that, you know, bringing wolves into an area changes the ecosystem. And yes, maybe that results in fewer um, car deer crashes. But is that really a good thing if it means there's less deer out there? And my argument would be no. Okay, let us go where angels fear to tread. I I understand I am violating one of my own rules because what I've been trying to do since the end of January is get us away from this obsession that people have with with Donald Trump, whether it's pro Donald Trump or anti Donald Trump, I, I've just I've been trying to move away. And you know, I understand that there's some people who can't get over it. I forget. Yesterday we had one caller. I forget what the topic was. It had nothing to do at all with with the former administration. But oh, this was Trump's fault. It was oh, the reason why people aren't getting vaccinated is it's Trump's fault. Something something like that. Okay, so President Trump is gone, but he is not forgotten. The story was leaked yesterday that a federal that a state grand jury has apparently been convened to investigate President Trump, his dealings and his businesses. Um, as, as I said earlier, and I sent out a tweet. Wh- one of the interesting things is typically grand jury proceedings are secret. If somebody discloses the existence of a grand jury proceeding, somebody who's involved with the grand jury, that that is a crime. And I do think it's interesting. It, it seems to me pretty apparent that this particular leak had to come from either investigators or from prosecutors. But, you know, we're, we're not we're not focusing on that crime that was committed. We're focusing on the existence of the grand jury investigation. So what they're going to be looking at, apparently, is financial dealings of President Trump. And, and it's a wide ranging investigation, but it essentially comes down to the question of whether Trump and his business associates or the corporation manipulated the value of properties. In other words, claimed that properties he was posting for collateral had a greater value than they did in order to secure loans. You know, like if you were, um, I don't know, if you're if you're applying for if you're applying for a home loan and um, you're posting. You're asked to post collateral and they're asking, you know, how much do you have in your savings account? And, and let's say, you know, you, you really, you really only have $50,000 in your savings account. But what you do is you go to your, your, your brother or you go to your, your parents or you go to friends and they, they give you a hundred thousand bucks that you put into your account and you pretend that it's yours. So you, so you inflate your value. You make yourself look like a better credit risk. That's, that's the essence of it. There's all sorts of spinoffs of it, but that's, that's what they're looking at. And I understand that there are some people out there that are just salivating over the fact that, okay, I hope they find something on Trump. I, I hope they have make him do a perp walk. I hope we see him in an orange jumpsuit. That will make me happier. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nobody is above the law. And, and obviously, if there is overt criminal activity, 
you know, it, it should certainly be punished. Having said that, would it be a good thing for this country if a former president were were the subject of of an indictment? And if it's even close, if it's even close, is that something that says prosecutors should be aggressive and go ahead? Or is it one where you say, look, it's not good for the country to try to drag this country through a a multi-year extended investigation and prosecution of a former president um, when the result might be in doubt? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my take is, if you've got clear clear and convincing evidence of criminality, obviously you have to act on it. On the other hand, if this is one of these flyers that, that you are taking because you, you want to test out a novel legal theory or you want to, I don't know, make certain people happy, I think you got to be real careful going after a former sitting president. And I would say that about Barack Obama. I would say that about Bill Clinton. I would say that about George Bush. 855-616-1620. Would an investigation and prosecution of Donald Trump be a good or a bad thing? We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, dragging an ex-president through a lengthy indictment is very embarrassing for the country. No matter which side you sit on, it's a delegitimization of the office. There are certain pockets of the country that just can't let Trump go. Incidentally, I hear CNN's ratings have dropped 70% since Trump-heavy coverage ended in January. Well, there's no question that there are some parts of the media that very miss him. Why does the phrase former president have anything to do with this discussion? I was a former high school teacher. Does that make me exempt from any criminal proceedings? No, it doesn't. But the question is, if you were if you were just a former high school teacher, would you be subject to the same level of investigation that you would be as the former president? And that's, I think, a very, very fair question. And that's what my point is. I don't want to be lost here. If there's clear evidence of criminality, well, of course, you go ahead and prosecute it. If, on the other hand, this is here, we're, we don't like President Trump. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to have a case that's anything but a dead bang winner. This is we, we've got a novel theory of law or, you know, this is one that's kind of 50 50. Let's just go ahead and see what happens because we know it's going to appeal to some people. I, I think that's bad. If, if they've got the goods on him. Well, that's a different story. I candidly tend to doubt that based on what I'm seeing thus far. But, you know, but but who knows? Obviously, if there's clear evidence of guilt, that's fine. But lots of times prosecutors take what I'm calling flyers. I'm just saying if this would be a flyer, I don't think the idea of trying to indict a sitting president, a former president, regardless of their party, on a flyer would be good policy. And I've argued that in the past when the sub-questions about Barack Obama have come up. Should he be investigated? Should there be grand jury? Should he be prosecuted for this or that or the other? I just don't think it's great policy. John on the north side. Hi, John. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? you got to turn down your radio. Okay. Okay. What do you think? Well, I I think that, uh, you know, if he's wrong, he's wrong. I mean, you know, we trusted him, you know, when he first got in there, he didn't want to show us taxes and all this and all that. So, you know, be honest. If, he, if he's wrong, he'd get caught being, being honest. I mean, being crooked, then he'd need to be um, 
persecuted for that. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Well, and John, and, and, and again, wrong, I'm well, no, and I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I guess, but what I guess the only point I'm trying to make here is that there's all sorts of occasions where, uh, particularly in these financial things, the question becomes, is it fraud or is it is it really a, a business is it a business? Was somebody really defrauded, or was this just a business transaction where people cut corners, or, or whatever that would normally be involved with, with civil lawsuits? That you know, if you, you you think somebody misrepresented something to you, well, then what you do is you end up, you know, you sue them, you try to get the money back. That there was a box when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office that where you would. Oftentimes, you would decide to decline prosecution. There was a declination form. There was a box, and it said um, civil remedies available, where you simply said, you know, maybe I could try to fashion this into a criminal case, but at the same time, this is really a matter that's better suited for the civil courts. If somebody feels that they're wrongly out money here, what they should do is they should they should sue and get it back. Now, I don't know where this grand jury proceeding is going to go. I, I honestly don't. And if it shows evidence, clear evidence, that either the former president or people around him were involved in mail fraud or wire fraud or a scheme to defraud or whatever, well, yeah, I, I, that, that's fine. Then you issue the prosecution. Understand, though, this is going to be very, very divisive. And if this is a matter that is better handled in civil courts or is a matter of, hey, we've got this sort of novel theory, let's run with it, all with the idea of, well, this is going to make some people happy if we drag Donald Trump into the docks. Well, it's going to make a lot of other people unhappy. And all I'm saying is, if it's a dead bang winner, fine. Of course, you go ahead and do it. Otherwise, maybe it's kind of time to move on. And I understand there's people who just can't give up their obsession with Donald Trump on either side of the issue. I'm just thinking quite candidly, the sooner former President Trump fades into the background, maybe the better that's going to be. And I understand there's some people who think this is all about just trying to stop him from running in 2024. I would hope not from the perspective of the prosecutor. I would hope there's more to it than that. But when it comes to Donald Trump, you never know. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, before you leave, give me give me some insight into the, the female mind. All right? Okay. Okay. All right. And, and I want you to be honest here. At, at, you know, on a daily basis, do, do you think that us guys are just helpless without you? Without, <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day, are we just absolutely helpless without you? Hmm, no, I don't. Maybe. I don't think so. All right. No, I don't. All right. All right. Um, all right. The, the reason I, I tell this story is my my lovely wife, who you know. So so here, here's the deal. Like she plays she plays in this golf league on on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. and so today is like the start of the golf league, and afterwards they have like a social event, like a mixer or something, you know, later on. So she's I, I'm on my own for dinner. Which is this thing. So that, like this morning, we're having this conversation. God bless her. She's like, well, I, I'm not going to be here for, for dinner. I say, yeah, I know. Go, go out and enjoy go yourself. Fine, yeah. Right. I go, exactly. And she's like, well, okay, what, what should we, what should we do? You know, I've got, I, I could, I could take, I've got some chili here. I could bring that out. You could thaw it and put it in there or, or we've got some lunch meat or whatever. I said, honey, don't, don't worry about this. And then she's like listing off all, well, we could do this or that. I said, well, or I could stop and get a pizza or I could go, you know, I, 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 I I've been feeding myself for you know a long time, <laughs> but, adult, but yeah. she was. I, I, I have been feeding myself, you know, but she was she was distinctly worried that I would 
I don't eat pop tarts or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's you know I think into the female mind, I think it's just you're wanting to take care of your partner. Well, and, and you're thinking ahead. You're thinking ahead, like what's Jeff going to eat tonight or what? Well, yeah, I. I Rudy, and, and, you want to weigh in on this? So, are you cooking tonight? Is that the plan? Maybe she's scared about that. Am I cooking tonight? Um, no. Well, well, what what it will be? It will either be a, a frozen pot pie. <laughs> <laughs> or it, it there is there is lunch meat. She would show me. She says, "Oh, we we have this lunch meat that's here. You know, we've, we've got the hard salami. You like that? More likely than not, I'm probably going to order a pizza from a place. Go over, sit and have a beer while they prepare it, and then take it home and, and eat it with the dog. That it's it's probably going to be a takeout pizza. But yeah, yeah, and not that there's anything wrong with that. But I think that answer is why <laughs> she's offering. You know, it's funny in my household. It's just the opposite. Uh, Michael will be like, oh, you know, there's stuff in the fridge. I made some chicken. Okay, you know, because I get off work a little bit later. So I think it's just, you know, yeah, thinking no. ahead. Maybe she yeah. knows how you eat without her. Well, that that could that could very well be too. You know, that it that, that it is kind of like a a train wreck. You know, it's a, some body people treat their bodies like temples. Others treat their bodies like tents. And I, I definitely probably fit into the <laughs> like a tent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if my wife is gone, she might offer the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I, I know what you're going to do with me not here. You're either going to go to the grocery store and buy a frozen pizza right. or order a pizza. And it's like, don't just take care of yourself, please. Well, right. Yeah. So I was getting these different options. And she, I, I think, you know, she she was very, very concerned about that. It's like, OK, honey, I can I can handle it. So it's a Jeff night. It, it's a it. Well, and it clearly it's a Jeff and Sasha night. It clearly comes from a good place. So yes, there's, there's 100%. No, there was no doubt about that at all. But I'm kind of like, huh, because in fairness, if the situation had been reversed, I, I wouldn't have worried that she was going to be able to find something good to eat. Have a good night, hon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm going to the ball game. I'm going to get a hot dog. See you later. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I'll, yes, it is probably, it's probably going to be the takeout pizza thing. I think that's, I that, think that's a good idea. I haven't had one of those that's for a not while. So. Total, I mean, it's a little unhealthy, but you know, it's one night. See, it's one night. Exactly, it's it's one night, and it's not like I just bought a like I said a dozen pop tarts, and I'm having some pop tarts and yeah. and some cheese and stuff. Okay, I think maybe we'll go the pizza route. That'll work out. Okay, that let's. I, I am curious as to something that that is in the news. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is the um, Republican Congresswoman from Georgia, who's yeah. She's been censored by the House, and she she says stuff which is outlandish. But because she's a lightning rod, she gets more attention than she probably otherwise deserves. And what the interesting thing is, every time she says something outlandish, then every Republican in the country gets contacted and asked how they feel about it, which is is not interestingly. Again, that's the the other side of the coin is when you have some Democrats who say outlandish things. It's not like people call up Tammy Baldwin and say, "Hey, did you hear what you know, Congresswoman so and so said? How do you feel about it?" But that doesn't change the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene has been known to say certain outlandish things. And if you are a regular listener of this program, you you know one of the things I, I frequently say is that. Doesn't matter whether you are a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, comparing something going on in the world currently to the Holocaust is always, almost always, 99.999% of the time, it's always going to be a bad idea. Saying, okay, this is what Hitler would have done, that's almost always going to be a bad idea because it fails to 
show an appreciation for how horrible the Holocaust was. You know, and so I think you have to be really, really careful about throwing around the Holocaust or the Hitler analogies or things like that because it always breaks down. But um, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't, you know, follow my advice. So you know, she's got a controversy where um, she she read about this supermarket in in Tennessee that had a, a policy and here here's the here's the supermarket's policy what they're saying is that um beginning actually it was was from last week if if the employee at the supermarket is vaccinated right they they no longer have to wear a face mask and but they have to prove to their employer that they have in fact been vaccinated so the deal is if you choose not to get vaccinated you you still have to wear a face mask but if you've been vaccinated you cannot wear you don't have to wear the face mask on top of that um they're also on your name badge if you have been vaccinated they 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 put a little mark on the the uh you have a logo on your name badge that shows that you have been vaccinated. Now, for example, there might be some people who've been vaccinated but still choose to wear employees, but they still choose to wear the, the face mask anyways, for whatever reason. Um, if they've been vaccinated, they, they get the name badge. They get the, they get the, again, they get the marking, the logo on their name badge. So into this wades this Marjorie Taylor Greene who says, she reads about this story and she says, Vaccinated employees get a vaccination logo, just like the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a gold star. All right. Well, and, and then this creates all sorts of controversy because it, it it's just staggeringly dumb to try to, I, I think, to try to compare a, a policy that some grocery store has in in Tennessee for identifying people who might have been vaccinated and trying to do that to um and then compare that to again the, the Holocaust and that Holocaust and that's Nazi Germany it's just it's it's just a dumb thing to do but putting that issue aside i was intrigued by her remarks because now that this has gone public there there's a lot of people who while while saying that they don't agree with the comparison to Nazi Germany. Nevertheless, she thinks she they think she has a point. So I want to talk about the policy, and, and we've discussed this in different in different perspectives before. But I mean, so here's the deal: the, the store recognizing that you are going to have shoppers who might be still a little bit reluctant to perhaps go back in the store and deal with employees who aren't wearing masks. All right. Um, so the store's policy of assuring the customers that this is what it is, is that when you go in, if the employee has a, has a logo on their name tag, they, that means they have been vaccinated, regardless of whether or not they're wearing a, a mask. If you've got the logo, it says to the customers, this particular employee has been vaccinated. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's put aside the the link to Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. Do you think it is unreasonable for an employer to publicly identify its employees who have been vaccinated? The reason they're doing this is to try to convince, to send a message to the customers that, hey, this particular person, this cashier, this 
this stalker or whatever who's next to you in the lines or whatever, they've been vaccinated so you don't have to worry. Is that unreasonable for the employer to do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Context Line. And I guess my answer is, is no. It's not like they're firing. It's not like they're saying to the employees who choose not to get vaccinated that you can't come into work or that we're not going to let you deal with the customers. It's just a way of suggesting to the customers, hey, this particular person, hey, the reason they're not wearing a mask, by the way, is because they've been vaccinated. Right? Is that unfair to the employees? And if you were an employee, would you object to it? 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I don't think this is unreasonable. If they don't want to disclose whether or not, just wear a mask either way. Um, Jeff, where does it stop? Identifying people with HIV, AIDS, any STDs, every bad policy has a beginning. Well, if, if this was a different sort of situation, I would perhaps have a different perspective on it but but this isn't this is this is covid as we are coming out of the pandemic and from the perspective of the business what the business is trying to do at least in my opinion is they're trying to assure customers who might be uncomfortable coming out in public hey the, don't don't worry you know we have verified that this employee behind the counter who's not wearing a mask we're not letting we're, we're saying to the employee you don't have to wear a mask anymore but we're giving you that assurance that hey they've demonstrated to us that they they've been vaccinated okay I, I mean the alternative i guess is you know the employee can continue to to wear the mask if they they choose but obviously this is the incentive one of the incentives for the employee to get themselves vaccinated so they don't have to be standing at the checkout line wearing the, the mask 855-616-1620 dell in west dallas on wtmj Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to point out I had to uh, I had to do this um, and uh, with an employer or whatever they actually if we were vaccinated and we wanted to not have to wear a mask we had to sign a um, uh, an agreement form and the two things I thought were interesting on the agreement form was one you are willing to let your employer be able to look and see uh, that you had in fact been vaccinated and then the other thing was that even though I was saying I was vaccinated, I still was agreeing to follow any um, company policies as far going forward as far as wearing a mask or social distancing. So even though I was doing it, so I didn't have to wear a mask at work, they were still saying, yeah, but if at any time we want everybody to go back to wearing masks, Regardless of vaccinating, you had to. Yeah, so. and I think a lot, I mean, thanks for knowing. I think a lot of employers are kind of taking a similar position to that. Jeff, this is workplace discrimination, treating employees differently, depending on the line of work. It could affect earnings, like sales jobs. Well, okay. First of all, this, this is a supermarket, so I guess you, you change the facts. Maybe it changes a little bit, but workplace discrimination, treating employees differently. I mean, you, look, employees do get treated differently. For example, for health insurance, if you you um, many, many companies give, depending on how you want to look at it, if, if you're a non-smoker, you get a break. Or if you're a smoker, you get penalized. You know, you, you have to, if you, if you're going to, you're going to pay more. I mean, they, they treat different employees differently. So yeah, you're, you're doing that. The question is, is, is it rational and is it unfair? And I guess that's, 
that's where my hang-up is, and I guess I don't think it's that big a deal necessarily. Um, let's see, Jeff, to the person who compared this to identifying people with HIV, they are not identifying if someone has a disease or an illness. They are identifying someone who has been vaccinated. I believe it's a completely different concept. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that as well. But on top of that, they're not saying to the person who hasn't been vaccinated that you can't work. They're they're not there. You can come in. You you can work. You can do the job. We just want you to wear the mask. But we want to send a message to our customers that when you come in and you see employees who aren't wearing the masks, we have verified that they have, in fact, been vaccinated. And that's verified by the, the logo that's there. Jeff, in no way is this acceptable. So if a person has a different medical condition, should they advertise that as well? So much for keeping your medical history private. And I'll, let me just make a point here, because sometimes people get lost in this and, and we get lost in the, the well, it's a violation of HIPAA rules, for example. No, it, no, it's not. HIPAA, as a general, it's a general rule, HIPAA applies to medical providers. Like HIPAA, HIPAA will say, if you get treated at a, at a clinic, right, without your permission, the clinic can't reduce your, can't release your medical records. HIPAA applies to like the doctors that you might see. HIPAA applies if, if you've gone into a hospital. HIPAA applies again is a general rule to medical treatment. It doesn't apply to you know, a supermarket. So, you know, uh, the employees at a supermarket, they, they can, the, the employer can ask you questions about your, your medical health. But beyond that, though, again, if, if you don't want to disclose this, it's no problem. You just wear the mask. The, the idea is where, you know, you, if you don't want to wear the mask, and I certainly understand why people don't want to wear the mask, no problem. What you end up doing, though, is then, you know, you, you have to give, that disclosure, and you have to prove that you have, in fact, been vaccinated. Hey, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.